Hey guys, and welcome back to the show. We are here for Skullcast, episode 58, and this is the first episode where we're going to have someone from the Patreon donation join us today. So today we have our top donor, Rupert Sinclair. Go ahead and say hi. Hey, everybody. Yep, Rupert comes to us with... How long have you been on the forum? I don't actually know off the top of my uh, head. I think maybe since 2005. Oh, wow. That long? Man. So... so it's never posted. Yeah, in my head, you're more of a lurker. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, okay, cool. Have you been reading episodically that long? I guess so. I started around, uh, I think, the beginning of Volume 31. Oh, wow, okay. And ever since, and I just started... Uh, collecting the young animals around the end of the sea god section, so... Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually just realizing that ten years ago, I think it's this month or is next month, was basically episode 250, is when uh, we meet Federico Vendimian, and, you know, they get that little ship contract that rolls into the fire and all that stuff. Yeah. That's like ten years ago today. Or this month, which is crazy. And that's about how long you've been reading the, the, the series, is what it sounds like. Uh, around then, yeah. yeah. So, I don't want to linger too much, but I just wanted to ask you like a brief thing. Like, what drew you to Berserk, and what has kept you reading it for ten years? Well, I mean, it started off like most people. I uh, rented the anime from Blockbuster when I was about ten or eleven. And watched the anime, fell in love already, and then later found the manga, found Skull Knight, and realized it was so much bigger than I knew, and that was very exciting for me, and I pretty much just kept falling in love ever since with every new thing. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Blockbuster made a lot of inroads, as I recall. I've heard that a lot, actually. I think Grail had mentioned it as well. Yeah, her uh, story actually almost is exactly the same as mine. Yeah, ironically, I don't even so. remember seeing it at Blockbuster. I just, I guess, I wasn't really? going to video stores that often at that time. I guess, but well, they did, they did stop. Uh, they stopped with uh, the fifth DVD. I think they actually took it out oh. after they had already put it out. So I had to go and buy that separately, and I never got <laughs> to the sixth one. So oh wow, right, six DVDs. Okay, I forgot. That makes sense. That sucks. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah. Jeez. Well, glad to have you, man, and thanks again. For yeah, it's your... really it's a it's a it's an honor, honestly. Cool, and thanks again for your generous donation. Uh, a lot of people have given a lot of money. Rupert has gone above and beyond, so I'm not going to share the amount, but he's our top donor, so we're very grateful yeah. to him for that. That's it's nothing. <laughs> well, today we're going to finish up Volume 13 and roll into Volume 14, hopefully ending right at the Golden Age when Gut sets off for the beginning of the Black Swordsman. So, um, let's go ahead and get started. Open, Crack open volume 13. We are going to start basically right where we left off, which is where Zod is uh, not waving goodbye to Skull Knight, Guts, and Casca, but more or less. <laughs> let's just start up right there. Um, the first thing we're, we see is this um, episode preview or opening shot of, of Casca looking not like Casca. You know, that's... What I took away from this full-page shot is that it, it is Casca in flesh, but I don't think I recall Casca making quite that face before. And it's it's kind of disturbing. Yeah, a little unsettling. It's a vaguely disturbing image. I think primarily because we know her personality, and this does not seem like her. 
Yeah, it's just a little off. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of uh, cruelly uh, deceptive in that, you know, you would not expect her to be smiling like this after, you know, the events we just witnessed. And, of course, we're going to find out that, you know, it's it's not as happy a look as... As it seems here, like you could see this and sort of think, like maybe everything's going to turn out okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah so it's a throughout ironic. this whole section, and actually, uh, you know, up until we learn the truth about Casca, it's as if Guts might be able to, you know, suffer through this, you know, harsh new reality if he had someone like Casca next to him, you know, but clearly it's not the case. And so you're right, it's kind of a cold reminder of, of the reality of things with her being in the state that she is. We'll go ahead and get started, though. Um, turn the page, and we have uh, this really somber scene of the the departing Falcons, as if they're heading to the afterlife, and Guts is, you know, in futility trying to get them to stop and to tell them to, to don't go that way, but he can't get them to stop. We have these kind of sketchy outlines of their face. I like how that's done, like you know, as if they're already gone, or even in a, kind of a nightmarish, dreamlike state. The way their faces are unfinished. genuinely frightening. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so pretty Which much is, Guts to right. Guts. And, I mean, I think the ultimate effect here is that Guts is feeling helpless, um, unable to stop what's happening. And, you know, yeah. it's it's the start of a couple different nightmarish scenes where that's the case, where Guts feels like he's not in control, can't stop this incoming tragedy. And he's also left behind. Right. Also notable is that he's wearing his Falcon's outfit, so he's seeing himself as if he was... Once one of them, you know, sees the Falcon emblem and all that stuff on him. It's older armor. Older, older sword even. Yeah. Yep. He's just completely identifying right. with them right there and just, yeah, sort of that, making that separation that much worse. And we come to the cave and there's a lot of establishing shots here at the cave. Um, it's interesting. Again, it kind of gives like an, almost an audio atmosphere to uh, the surroundings here. We have, you know, this chirping of the birds and the splashing of the water. So you can kind of just hear all the different elements in the cave here. And also, you see a little bit of the ore, or at least some of the crystals uh, coming out of the rock there. I don't exactly know what kind of metal it is that he's mining in the ore mine, but something important, I guess. I don't actually know anything about ore mining, so I wouldn't even begin to speculate. What well, you know, I think he just gets uh, iron ore from there, which he then, you know, melts mm-hmm. uh, using, uh, well, I don't know how you'd call it, an oven, a mm-hmm. furnace, whatever, <clears throat> to make steel. Uh, that's what was done at the time. And uh, mm-hmm. those crystals, I guess, are unrelated, but they might hint at the fact it's a, you know, magic cave or whatever. Right. <clears throat> This cave in particular, and also the fact that, you know, Erica is introduced on the next page here as she walks in. Her face is initially, uh, obscured by the lighting. Uh, and I wonder if that's for dramatic effect as well, as if the, the reader is not supposed to know who it is yet, you know. Showing, wondering, wondering who this is. Yeah, I and, think so. But it's also, you know, we mentioned this at the end of the podcast last time, and I wanted to reiterate it here, because there's a couple different things, and that is, the confluence of things here, the fact that it's this cave in such close proximity to the eclipse, that Skullnet was able to drop them off at safely, and it's Erica and Godo is here, all these different things make well, it seem like there's just a lot of serendipity happening, you know? We don't really know how close it is, though, you know? Well, Skullnet I mean, mentions co- it's the closest safe place yeah. from the eclipse. Yeah, I know, I know he says it's close, but my point is, I mean, for him, he could, you know, he could probably take him anywhere in the world. You yeah, know, pretty yeah. quickly. I mean, close m- might be, you know, like a hundred kilometers. For all we know, 
Sure. Just, you know, since it's in the mountains, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not like, you know, by close, it's not like, uh, I don't know, two miles away or anything like that. I mean, the next closest (laughs) safe place could be Elfhelm, you know, for all we know, (laughs) according to... Oh, sure. Nice. I mean, it, it does, the, dif- the distance doesn't really matter. It's the fact that it was yeah, the closest safe harbor. Here. So. Yeah. Right. Of all or places just the fact here, that, somewhere yeah, that, that gets... Godo's house is a safe place is, uh, yeah. is what's interesting, you're right. There's also something interesting about the face and the shading is that obviously Guts, uh, he's blinded by the light. You know, she comes, mm. she has a light in her back, but I think it might also reflect on the fact he's just lost an eye, you know. Yeah. So his eye capacity is uh, reduced. Right, that's true. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Erica's introduction, it's immediately comical, which, you know, we've mentioned it many times that Mira is not scared of mixing dramatic elements, uh, with humorous elements. And here's another example of that, actually several of them back to back, with Erica slipping on the floor and falling and kind of just splayed out legs like a kid. Yeah, we, we for shoe on her head, you know. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. She's on the losing head. the shoe, got the bloomers, and you, obviously, I never noticed before that she's got all those bandages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was carrying over. Right. And then Rickert's there, and Guts wondering, you know, why Rickert's there. And apparently Guts has been asleep for, is it four days in a coma? Um, <coughs> yep. So, <clears throat> he is bandaged head to toe, and we see quite how bandaged he is when he, when he rises up. Um, but he doesn't keep his bandages on for long, and we'll get to that. And I think there's something about this cave that's kind of symbolic in terms of recuperation. Like, Guts could have stayed here and he mended his wounds and healed his wounds, but we know he can't really stomach that, or at least he can't stay in this particular cave for very long. And it's not it's not very long before he runs out into the cave and, you know, his bandages all come off as well. But, <clears throat> anyway, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I just wanted to point out the fact that the cave serves many purposes here, and it's almost like a wordless character in itself. It's referenced so many times. From the the elves to the ore, to the, the importance of having a safe harbor and all that stuff. It's kind of a unique place in the Berserk world. Yeah, that's anyway. true. It plays a unique role, but I think that's uh, maybe a bit beyond the scope of this reread. But <clears throat> clearly, yeah, it plays a big role. And the, the fact it's destroyed in Volume 22 is... Uh, also a big deal, you know. That's what yeah. sets them on the path to Alfam. So it's a, it's a big motivator, and, and yeah. So I guess it, it has a, a very important role in the in the series. Sure. Well, Rickards um, asks Guts how we got the injuries and where the rest the others are. But instead of answering, Guts kind of ponders the word "others" for a moment before realizing that you know Casca is somewhere, and he wants to know where Casca is. Uh, Rises up probably a little too early because you can see he kind of bends over from the pain. Still, four days worth of healing probably, even with elf power, probably is, you know, he could use a little more time to recuperate, basically. Yeah, well, yeah, after what he endured. Sure. But it's also interesting that he's immediately, you know, he's very aggressive with Rickard. He grabs him by the shirt, you know, shoves him in his face. It's pretty, you know. Yeah, and the look on Rickard's face as well, as if he doesn't want to tell them. And in fact, he doesn't yeah. interject throughout this whole se- sequence. He kind of does his um on the next page, but he, you know he doesn't know how to tell guts. You know how do you, how would you tell them something like this? You know, yeah. so he has to experience it himself. So we see Casca kind of bathing in the uh, the the fountain. Sorry, the yeah, waterfalls. The waterfall, yeah. Right, and 
you know, it's almost immediate, immediate when she regards him that something's wrong. Uh, the way she kind of holds herself, uh, and then Gus yeah. looks at her. She turn, turns away from him. The, the fact she's, uh, bathing, you know, in a way, you know, uh, under the waterfall, so as, is very symbolic, you know, as if she wants to clean herself, you know, mm. so that's very, you know, she's been there for a while. It's, you know, probable she's been doing that for a while as well, you know, so it shows that subconsciously she knows something's wrong. She was, you know, uh, slide or, you know, whatever. Right. It's, this happens throughout this whole sequence, but it's, it's, it's rough to watch Guts real, come to the realization of things. And, and we actually see the full realization, uh, when, when they're focusing on the eyes here on the following page and you get yeah. this full frontal shot of Guts' face. And I said it before, but it's really like, <laughs> despite all this tragedy, at least he had her, you know? That's kind of the look on his face before he, when he, when he first sees her, sort of. When he knows that she's there, when he sees her first bathing in the waterfall, this look on his face, he's like a little, he's relieved that she's still here. And it's, it's, it's like if he could have maybe suffered through this together, but, but no, even that's taken from him as well. Yeah. Her sanity. She's not even who she was. And it's, it's more evident later on in this, this, this section, but it's like the woman he loves is here, but it's a shell of who he once loved, you know? Yeah. Well, also, I mean, it's just the fact that it's all sort of, real time kind of still happening to him like he didn't remember when he woke up you know what had happened yeah. until uh until the others was referenced and that's when he jumps up and asks for casket it's like he had just compl- you know he was asking where am mm. i he had pretty much it was like it was all a bad dream and then he's right back sort of in the middle of it yeah and it's, it's know, still happening to him so casco runs um to erica and apparently she takes comfort in women and doesn't trust men pretty obvious why that might happen. She bites him. I like that. She bites him like a little kid and then jumps yeah. away. Because he tries to reason with her even though she's, she's you know, screaming and right. clearly doesn't want. Yeah, Guts doesn't have the best bedside manner when it comes to these yeah. kind of things. Well, I mean, he's not, you know, he's sort of a, you know, he's smart, but he's also kind of a man of action and, you know, a straightforward guy. So, I mean, he does grab her yeah, wrists. He's grabbing her. He's being, he's actually, you know, like he's being aggressive with Rickard. He's also being kind of aggressive with her. He, you know, he wants her to, you know, respond in the way he expects. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's not, not what he needs to be doing right then. And, you know, he just sort of realizes, yeah, I think after that, the hopelessness, at <clears> least for him, of the situation. Yeah, I- that panel where you see, as Rickard's explaining to him, his face, the realization that she's, you know, she's gone, it's, uh, it's, you know, pretty clear that it's, uh, it's a big deal to him. He just, you know, you, you know, there's that panel after that where he raised his hand and just let it fall back. Yeah. And, uh, I think that says it all. Yeah. He's resigned to the reality of this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was sort of the moment of, you know, you can see it kind of breaks there. I mean, it's sort of a very, impotent moment like reaching out and then just you know realizing yeah and and i like that it's what prompts him to to leave the cave you know that's that Mm. uh that particular realization and you see you can see the blood coming from his you know uh what's a dead eye it's uh yeah it's pretty symbolic right and uh rickard gives him a warning ask telling him he's not supposed to leave the cave because you know he said so meaning skull of course warning him about being branded and then Guts is off uh, into the wilderness outside the cave, and we see him running full page, uh, tears in both eyes, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, it's got the, the tears in one eye, the blood running out of the other. 
This is probably one of my other favorite scenes in the whole series. I just love how effective it is emotionally without any text. Just all visuals, all just, you know, tugging on those strings that the Golden Age laid for us to tie us to these characters. It's just pulling all of them, you know, or revisiting these moments, you know, happy moments, intense moments, moments of friendship, and then just having them. Yeah. Uh, the cold reality set in on, on the, the fact that they're gone. I like how it's uh, set up too, the, the way it starts with, uh, you know, the animals yeah. that are being disturbed in the forest there's this, by guts running through. There's this <clears> contrast <throat> of the, you know, there's this, like all this tranquil, beautiful nature going on while guts yeah. has this turmoil in these memories. Yeah, he's running, ripping off his bandages, and sinking back to the people he lost. It's uh, yeah, it's very powerful, very very powerful. And and again, it's effective. You know, much like the eclipse was effective at showing us, you know, like why guts has all his his this hatred and rage inside him, and this just you know punches the point home. <clears throat> yeah, there we revisit these moments, these big moments from these characters and some of the artwork, I mean, it's recreations of those panels that we've seen, but also some are from new perspectives. Like you see this one with carcass with his boot on the table. It's like, it's from first person perspective and the same thing with carcass pointing at him. It's the same thing. It's from his first person. So it's interesting that Mir chose to depict it that way. And I also, I like that one of judo just with him, you know, sort of with a, blank affect you know he's not he's like frowning almost at him you know just that he's sure, remembering yeah. that moment it's a, that's actually a it's a recreation <laughs> of the original one it's, he's still looking yeah. full frontal in the uh, volume eight and i think uh, that's yeah. when uh, i think that's when uh, judo was confronting him about you know sort of you know are you going to take casca with you i believe yep yeah yep that is the panel um pippin as well the name when he's asking him to drink and his first yeah. when he finally getting guts oriented to the falcons and throughout this whole scene, um, you know, Guts loses his bandages in various ways. He, he tears the one off of his head off. Uh, thorns or trees, you know, shred some of the others. Yeah, he even then, falls from yeah, a huge cliff. Yeah, he down like a cliff. Yeah, yeah. And lands on I think his feet. I, I think it's... Go ahead, sorry. No, I just said and he lands on his feet at the bottom, so I mean, his reflexes are still uh, intact. Yeah. I still, I mean, it's. I think it's symbolic of this whole section, though, that he's leaving the cave meant to help him recuperate. And he runs out into the the dangerous night. He's tearing off his bandages, literally reopening old wounds here uh, to go out into the night. Yeah. To, it, it's, it's his coping mechanism. It's his yeah. way of coping with what's happening. Yeah, with the pain, yeah. And we get these really sweeping horizontal shots. And actually, before we move on, I wanted to say, I like the way Griffith's portrayed here, the vision of Griffith at the end as someone who you know once meant something to him and now means something more. Just the vision of him it's almost chilling now because of it has a totally other meaning yeah. for him. Well, yeah, also, that he's, cool he's smile, looking yeah. behind at him too, you know, where he's left him behind. He's left the yeah, looking behind. Back. And it sort of brings to mind, you know, the way this opened with uh, him uh, seeing the Hawks going away. Yeah. We have these sweeping scenery changes here. I love how this is portrayed. Almost like it's in a sequence. Yeah. Um, you see Guts kind of making progress in each panel. At least it's two panels. It actually reminds me of Gigantomachia in the last episode yeah, when yeah. they're traveling through each panel as a different location as they go across the page. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, that's right. And he ends up in a place just totally flat, or not flat, but it's uh, desolate, nothing around at all. No structures, no trees, just a giant field. 
Yeah, a plane, yeah. Falls, yeah, falls down and look, looks up at the rain and yeah. thinks of, is a vision of Femta. It's very cool. I love the perspective here, you know, looking up uh, at the darkness, uh, Femto kind of coming out from the darkness. He's literally out in the weeds, basically. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the look on Gut's face as well, I like that, following that panel with Femto. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't quite know how to read it, but his pupil is quite small. It looks very serious. Anger? I don't know. I don't know how I'd read that, really. I don't think it's anger at this point. He looks mm. more like, I don't know, sad, you know? Yeah. To me, yeah, it's almost like, just sort of, it's like a blank, you know? Like, he's spent, he's not crying anymore, he's not angry anymore, he just doesn't, you know, feel anything. It's a very femto kind of emotion, actually, when you think about yeah. it. <laughs> he's sort of, yeah, drained. And then he gets his first brand sensation. Uh, it looks like it hits him like a bee sting, sort of. It throbs, and he like he's you know immediately puts his hand to it, like it was you know stung by a bee or something. Yeah. And then wonders what the sensation is as he sees, you know, these things come out of the grass, or he actually hears sounds first. Yeah. I guess. He hears them speak first. Yeah. Right. I love the designs of these little guys. <laughs> we'll see more of them on a few pages, but I mean, they're just this amalgamation of like kind of like. Kind of like Slimer, sort of, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's one that <laughs> yeah. looks like sort of the Green Goblin, too. I mean, if you look at their little faces, it's actually yeah, kind of yeah. interesting. And, you know, I, I like how... Um, I'll get to it on the next page, but they, they, all the faces kind of blend together at a certain point, you know? Like, you have to imagine their individual human souls that have been warped by staying in this place, right? And just being like... like I'm guessing just... Trying to cling to reality, being unable to, and whatever that does to to a soul, warping it, making it evil. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, why these guys are such assholes? I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, this is a bad guys, pretty much. They, I don't think it's just the fact they try to stay on for too long. I mean, okay. that's I mean, one thing. But I also think they are they're the bad guys, pretty much. They they want to cling to life by taking up the bodies of the living in this case. So. You know, there's one thing to remember is that they are drawn to the brand. Uh, so there might be, like, we might imagine they are, you know, spirits are just recently died or are there, but are not necessarily evil. And these guys wouldn't come and try to, what to say, uh, take over the body of a branded person. So yeah. I think it also shows why these kind of guys that come to guts. I mean, yeah, it's like they're not too different from apostles. Like at least uh, you know their their alignment of good and evil. Sure. Before Gus makes contact with them, or they make contact with him, the Skull Knight appears and tells them to be under guard, and describes this as uh, the interstice, which is the border between worlds. I wish I really wish I had a solid translation of this section because there's some particular terminology that Skull Knight uses here that I would love to get clarified, but. Uh, in the Dark Horse translation, at least, he calls this the the boundary between the mortal world and that of the dead. And I know Dark Horse in Volume 24 also describes the astral world, you know, as the world of the dead or the land of the dead. I think is what they use. And I wonder how, how accurate that is, but by focusing on the death aspect mm-hmm. of it, because it's really it's like the it's the shallow layer of the astral world. It's the, like the you get the top layer, you could say, of the astral world. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, it's correct actually. Uh, he does okay. call, call it the you know the realm of the dead or whatever, and uh, because yeah, it's a it's a shallow part of the astral world, but it, it's also where dead souls go. So 
mm-hmm. at least temporarily go before they move on. So uh, <clears throat> it's correct, and yeah, it's reiterated in, uh, in Volume 24. Right. So Guts has a moment of recollection where he sees Skull Knight and says, oh, he's the guy from before. Like, yeah, no shit, dude. There's only one of these guys on horseback <laughs> with the skull armor. And uh, as the, the ghosts are coming towards him, we call them ghost spirits. What What is the accepted nomenclature for these guys? Well, I, I usually call them specters myself, but okay. uh, I, I think I may have you know checked that in the dictionary once. Hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure their name in Japanese is Mamono. Mm. Uh, so yeah, but yeah, they're essentially ghosts, whatever. I call them specters because it's a bit more, you know, ominous and ghosts. They're a little more nuanced too. They're not just like they have some substance to them. I think you know, ghouls would be yeah. fair as well. Sorry, ghouls perhaps. Okay. Well, ghouls, you know, uh, <laughs> traditionally a ghoul is more like a, it's more like a zombie, you know. Okay, I, I just wanted to a, see actually if there would be a pushback on ghouls, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. Of, I'm just yeah. thinking of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Little green ghouls, buddy. Oh, we saw three ghouls. There were no ghouls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, they're heading towards Guts, the specters, let's say, or the ghosts. And uh, Skull Knight throws a sword. You know, I love how he throws it just straight on towards Guts. And Guts <laughs> yeah. manages to catch it with uh, one I, hand. There's one thing I like is uh, feeling like, you know, when this episode opens, you see them. In the grass, you know, all the faces, uh, distorted yeah, right, under the right. grass. And then you see them, like, rushing toward him, you know, still in the grass. And I like that effect of speed. It feels like they're really rushing towards him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, yeah. And yeah. Very ominous. And yeah, he's also... Oh, go ahead. No, oh, I was just going to say, and yeah, I like how he throws a sword. It's like, you know, it's almost like Griffiths, uh, how Griffiths threw it to Casca, you know, except Guts just, you know, grabs it on the, you know, in mid-flight. Yeah, <laughs> and realizes immediately that it has thorns on it that are slicing into <laughs> his hand. And like, thanks, buddy. But yeah. I, one thing I thought was interesting is that when he first sees the ghouls, he immediately identifies it as being sort of a continuation of what was, you know, of the eclipse. You know, he's not distinguishing. Yeah. He's just, you know, yeah, the, you know, the nightmare is continuing. I mean, it makes sense that he'd say that because yeah. they are kind of gathering around him and saying they want his body. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so. I just think it's interesting because we, of course, distinguish the eclipse as being this, you know, this completely sure. separate and everything. But in his world, you know, at this moment, it probably just feels like, you know, Jesus, you know, this is still happening. It's the same yeah. shit. And it really is. I mean, it's a never-ending nightmare yeah. for him. I mean, I mean, sadly, seen... he kind of, I guess he's, you know, he gets used to it. Yeah. <laughs> I love the visual design of these guys. I mentioned it before, but I like how they are, there is some composition to them. They're not just like, it's not like he's slicing through them and it's just kind of going through like a piece of cloth. These guys, it's like more like bags of like water balloons kind yeah. of things happening here. And, um, also you can see it after he slashes through one, you know, it kind of reforms. It's like it, you know, it was only, all, all Gus did is basically, you know, push two pieces of a body apart and it, it's kind of, it's just fine. The way it kind of recounts from the, the hit. It actually, Guts describes the response as hitting them as hit like striking through water. So there's some resistance happening there in the sensation. And Skull Knight kind of lays out these guys being from the afterlife, souls that cling to life, as we already described. And they hunger for Guts' flesh and blood because of the brand. I love the shot of Guts, too. I don't have much to add to it. I just like the the sidelong shot, as Guts kind of realizes the the impact and the purpose of the brand, as it's sitting on kind of the sideways shot there. Yeah. 
uh, that ghosts get a little too close to guts and uh, specters, sorry, and a, a attempt to at possession. And we actually see this strange, kind of disturbing, kind of vein-like thing coming on his face and even his arms as well. Yeah, uh, as it's, it's close to possession, and we can see the eyes melt or begin to meld close to guts, as if it's just a hair's breadth away from full possession, and then I always liked to... the way you know they do that by you know merging inside the body. I, yeah. I find it pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, what would be the? Uh, I guess what what are their intentions here exactly? Like we I actually well, they'll, never they'll seen a full on. They'll possess him. I mean, we kind of did. It's happened to him at least two other times uh, in volume. I think it was. Two, and then mm-hmm. with Casca, when and, uh, and it happens to Farnese as well. Yeah, and it happens yeah, to her I, completely. You know, but I mean, like, what do they hope to accomplish with that? I guess do bad well, things. You know, it's just I. I think uh, being disembodied is not uh, probably not a very pleasant feeling after a while. So they crave, mm-hmm. you know, to have to feel you know blood and flesh and the the pleasures of the flesh pretty much. So, you know, when they possess people, like we see um, during the events of the Conviction arc, you know, many people get possessed and we see they just eat each other, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's very, you know, they try to eat rape and, you know, the full contingent of nice, nice things to do, you know. It's probably, it's probably also a powerful feeling too. I mean, like you said, they're disembodied, they're, you know, they're weak, you can sort of smash through them as Guts does, whereas when they possess somebody, it's probably a very powerful sort of feeling. Yeah. <clears throat> what I find interesting is how he manages to repel them. We're not, yeah. you know, we're not really explained how he does it by just force of will. He just pushes them all out. Yeah. By force of will, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, expels them. There's a couple times here where Skull Knight kind of takes note of what's happening. Um, actually, actually, I guess it's further on. But he's kind of noticing for himself how capable Guts is. Uh, as a warrior. And it's the most Skull Knight's talked n- until this point in the series, and probably one of the most he's ever talked, period. He's, he's laying out a lot here. He's explaining, you know, foundations of the interstice and the <coughs> foundation of the brand and what it means to be branded and ghosts, all these, you know, important recurring elements in the series. He's laying the foundation yeah. for it here. So it makes mm. sense that he's babbling on quite a bit. But of course, Guts rejects all these things and, you know, tells him to shut up. Uh, <laughs> it kind of gets flown into a rage and he, he's rejecting these things as well. Uh, he just wants to fight. He just wants to, he wants a target. He wants revenge, I guess, is the simplest way to, to say it. Well, this is the first time, I mean, where you, we can see sort of the evil smile appear. Yeah. Yeah. A couple different times in a couple different ways as well. Yeah. I like how he points his sword at Skull Knight. You know. Well, also that really cool page, the next page where he's sort of, the, it's almost, it reminds me of like a, you know, an old like samurai movie or something, the way he's holding yeah. the sword up, you know, and he's he's holding his arms sort of up as if it's still there, you know, like he's using it to, yeah. you know, hold the sword as well. And he's <laughs> very much a, this warrior pose. Right. It also shows, I think, uh, a fundamental difference between Guts and, and the Skull Knight. <clears throat> In that the Skull Knight is more like, you know, still yourself, you must be like that, but Guts reacts by being angry, you know, and yeah. that anger is what gives him strength. So it shows uh, how the two characters go at, go at it differently. Yeah, I do like the little insight we get into Skull Knight's personality, at least a little bit, you know, his demeanor, his straightforward, terse. Uh, he's letting him know a lot, but as we see later, <laughs> only lets him know so much, you know. He's not letting him know everything. <laughs> but, yeah. um 
Yeah, way but, you know, he's not going to waste his time <laughs> explaining all the when Guts is telling him to just shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah, that's he's true. Like, okay, I think I've told you enough. But he also, you know, he also doesn't really care, you know, pretty much about what Guts is saying. Like, you know, yeah. even if Guts is being mildly insulting to him, you know, he, like he he doesn't really care. He's not yeah. impressed. You know, like when he points a sword at him. Is that, there's that reaction shot where, of course, it's a skull, also you, you don't get <laughs> yeah. the expression, but he is not he's, threatened. Yeah, he's not really impressed. <clears throat> well, even when you know he expels all the the ghosts and everything out of his body, you know, which we found impressive. Skull Knight, you know, like you say, he says, "Steal yourself," you know, you're going to be haunted to death. You know, he's, actually, yeah. You know what I read from that? Actually, in this most recent reading, is the, the exchange he has there. There's like a, there's like a pause there after Guts expels them. Guts catches his breath, and then Skull Knight says, "Steal yourself, otherwise you'll be haunted." It's like, don't make me kill you. Don't make me. I don't want to have to kill you, dude. So just lay <laughs> off that, you know. No, no. I think he's more like, yeah, just just t- telling him he'll die. They'll, they'll kill him, but I think yeah. he's just he's basically just telling him like to get back up. Yeah, that was half joke. <laughs> anyway, uh, I like the guts during this thing, but before he you know declares war on that awesome. Full frontal shot there. He talks about uh, telling them, telling the the pale fl- pale faced bastards that I'm coming for them. He actually refers indirectly to the God Hand in that way. Uh, tells t- says he's going to hunt down each apostle, uh, and I like I like how this is portrayed. The, the paneling here is nice. Uh, very uh, the jagged cuts from all the different shots here, it's, uh, as if we're experiencing each little slash, and then we have the full frontal, you know. Smashing a guy in two. <laughs> yeah. You can see he's actually using his left arm as well, you know, kind of by reflex in all these yeah. shots. It's nice how that works. And it's, you know, it's not a weapon that he's used to using, using a long sword in general, but it's this also, is a short sword. Yeah, it's also interesting after he makes that little declaration that it we get sort of inside uh, his and Skull Knight's head where he sort of, you know, takes mm. Griffith's language. And is now going to use it against him, you know, where he makes that his... He sort of declares it in his mind that it's his dream. And that he's going to, you know, destroy anyone that gets in his way. And I also think it's interesting that we get Skull Knight's thoughts, his private thoughts, just on Guts, you know, sort of analyzing his strength. You know, and why he survived the Eclipse. Yeah. Yeah, and it sort of gives you an insight into sort of Guts as a prospect, you know, and someone interesting to Skull Knight. So, yeah, I, I guess he is impressed after all, you know, but yeah. ju- not by his threats to him, but more like by his you know, fighting prowess and <clears throat> will to survive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do like it that it's, it's, it's a rare Skull Knight mo- inner monologue. Yeah. You know, we don't get that. I can, I can only think of like one other time. Anyway, mm, it doesn't happen yeah. very often either way. Yeah. So it's nice. And yeah, he is judging Guts' ability. So it's, it's a neat little moment here. Anyway, um, Skull Knight's surprised when uh, they disappear all of a sudden, and uh, Guts wonders, it says it's over, but of course it's not over because the moon's still in the sky, so there's something else, and so Skull Knight says it's, they found someone else, another torch, he says, yeah. or another flame. It actually looks and like Skull Knight realizes they're going before they disappear, which is kind of interesting. You're right, yeah, that's true. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this is one of my Guts favorite considers- moments. Yeah, Guts thinks of Casca and then immediately springs to action, points his sword at Skull Knight. He tries to carjack so Basically, him. It's gonna, he's trying to Grand Theft Auto Skull Knight's horse <laughs> <Yeah>. real quick. <laughs> and of course, Skull Knight reacts 
uh, considers for a moment and then drags him on board. This is sort of the moment bit. where it's like, you know, okay, this is the second time he's threatened me, and this guy's ridiculous. Uh, you know, I'm just going to grab him and show him who's boss here in a nice way. <laughs> yeah. And not only does he throw him on the back of his horse, but he takes the sword back. In the same yeah. motion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, okay, sure, you're gonna attack me with my sword. All right, no. <laughs> Whenever I see this, 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 these few panels with them riding on horseback, it just it bums me out that this is not. There's no, there's no more buddy comedy moments like this, you know. Oh, well, there, yeah. I mean, there the is when they Sarge. escape from uh, the clip hoth. You know, that is That's it's like true. a return. You know, the, I'm getting too old for this shit. The <laughs> <No> moment is <laughs> getting out of there. <laughs> oh man. Uh, and Skullnet actually comments. It actually reminds me a little bit like Zod. He says, "This is the, this is twice now that I've carried you. Don't be thrown off, you know." As he you know zooms through the night <laughs> through the rain. Be grateful. So that's the end of volume thirteen. Um, this is one of those volumes where I kind of wish it just had I don't know a, a few more episodes just to round it out because it, it ends kind of in, in an action sequence and a, you know an important moment. It's one of those volumes where it often you know the the, the narrative thrust spills over into the next volume a little too. I don't know, loosely. But anyway, we'll move on to volume 14. I mean, yeah, it just sort of cuts off. Yeah. it's. I mean, I have the same kind of narrative disconnect with 26 and 27. The way that 26 and 27 begins, I always forget what happened in 26 and 27. You know, when does he actually, you know, when does the armor yeah. come alive? When does all that? So. Well, what's impressive yeah, to me bit. is it makes me think of how Mira kind of ends every single episode with kind of a little ending. I mean, it's not like it yeah, ever goes true. from just like... You would never mistake one ending page and the beginning of the next episode is like the same episode. He gives it a little, he always gives it a nice little flourish finish. You know, it's them on the horse riding away. I think at the end of the next volume, it's, uh, I think he's fighting, uh, let's see. Well, what, uh, you know, you mean? Yeah, you know, it, it, it gives the volumes a little, a little something. Well, yeah, the thing is, uh, I think that's, off. uh, a requirement of uh, the pre-publication, you know, like since the really this is episodic, he he has no choice but to start with you know like a starting page and end with an ending page. Yeah. So I, I think that there's an advantage as a, and an inconvenient to that, and the inconvenient is that you get some kind of redundancy at times, you know. But at the same time, you know, it's uh, like I said, it's nice because it you know cuts up the volumes neatly. But I mean, yeah, when you think about it, that's hundreds of pages he could have been using for, you know, <laughs> the story would be over by now if he could have just been using those pages. But it, well, it does give him a chance to sort of, uh, to, you know, emphasize things between uh, episodes, yeah. which is nice. That's true. That's true. I mean, every episode has, you're right, has like a, has a pacing to it yeah. to a certain extent, right? I think he so uses it, it as an opportunity to, you know, focus on someone's expression or someone's face, you know, to sort of bring you back into the scene from a different <coughs> angle. Yeah. Uh, the cover of volume 14, this must have been a really you know, long-awaited moment for readers that have been reading at the time, you know, wondering when the Black Swordsman can come back. And so here it is, you know, in full glory. Although the armor is a little different, you know, this is kind of a, as far as I know, unique armor. We don't see this kind again. The, the spikes on the pauldrons are different from the ones he has. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I mean, you kind of maybe maybe it was an earlier draft of what he imagined the Black Swordsman looked like, but you know, I, I don't think I that's think he what he goes. Does, I think in these, I mean, in these illustrations, I feel like he just does, you know, 
he gets he just gets creative with it, you know, with the armor, with you know the color of his cape, you know. I feel like he just doesn't feel restricted. It's not like it's yeah. necessarily some of these things aren't like exactly part of the story, you know, like the cover of Volume Eighteen. You know, there isn't any scene like that thus yeah. far yet. <laughs> the one that looks like you know it's the end of the series, and then like it's the one that guts is in two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey. <laughs> I remember that myself. That was the first volume I ever bought, actually. <laughs> I mean, anyway, look at the um, cover. Yeah, exactly. That's the one I want. Um, I like how in this volume cover, the, the Dragon Slayer features prominently. You know, it's a kind of like... I mean, he's not hiding behind it, but you can kind of see him using it as... He's kind of leaning on it a little bit. You it's know? a very dramatic yeah. kind of pose. It's covering his eye. I mean, it's almost like, you know... Yeah. Like a, I don't know, the kind of dramatic imagery, like from a photo shoot or something, you know, an album cover, you know. It's, just, it's yeah. really co- kind of cool. Seeing him pose like this, and also and P- like Puck's light sourcing, the strong light he gives on guts, the sharp, creates the sharp light on the armor as well, and kind of the yeah. glow, of the background, of the bricks, I mean, stone, whatever it is. This is, I mean, it it basically this is the first image you know that would have been published of guts as the black swordsman in years, and think of how much progress yeah. Mira made in his uh, his abilities. Oh, totally. I mean, I have volume one in front of me right now, and it's it's uh, it's, yeah, it's quite a bit different. Um, something I didn't notice until recently when I was looking for this reread is it's kind of a weird, uh, effect of the fact that Mira paints these, but sketches them beforehand. If you look really close to the dragon slayer, um, on the dark horse edition, it's a little more evident because of, I'm guessing the colors that were used for the printing process, but you can kind of see through guts, the dragon slayer to guts arm and his, you know, armpit area and rib cage area. <laughs> To where he must have sketched guts before he, you know, brought out the paint, the oil painting. Uh, and so what we're left with is kind of like a transparent effect through the Dragon Slayer. Of course, yeah. it's it's barely evident at all on the original Japanese, but because of some weird, I'm guessing, printing issue, maybe Photoshop thing, you can see it a little more obviously in the Dark Horse edition. Well, and I so wonder if, I mean, because weird... clearly it's on the painting, I mean... So yeah. I wonder if Mira, this was a stylistic choice, and it's just maybe—I mean, maybe even in uh, the Japanese ones, they were like, "Oh, he did something wrong. Let's make it darker," <laughs> you know. So you can't I actually see looked that. at the illustrations file page as well, and it's not not nearly as evident. Oh, okay. So it's probably—it's yeah. uh, probably yeah that they just lightened it up so much. But I mean, yeah, it's kind of a neat yeah. thing where it's sort of like you on the one side you have the full painting, and then going down into that corner where it gets darker, it's kind of breaking down, you know, the whole picture. It's mm-hmm. a cool thing. It's kind of X-ray vision, rare <laughs> X-ray vision to mirror process. It's something that actually happens uh, pretty regularly with you know uh, historical paintings. You know, whereas oh, yeah. when they, they paint something and repaint over it, and you know when it gets worn out or something like that, you start being able to see what's behind. Or nowadays they also check it out with X-rays and that kind of stuff. So uh, I think mm. it's just part of the process. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. We'll go ahead and open it up. Um, we have a preview shot of Guts and Jill. I like the pose he has here. As if he, I think he just had used the Dragon Slayer uh, on the tree in this shot here. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned this on one of the earlier podcasts, but it, this particular span of the series, I'd say 14 to 16 or 18 or so. I mean, I could be wrong, but it seems like Mir is employing like a very effective economical style to the drawings. They're detailed. But of course, it's not quite the level of detail we get now, but he's pumping these out, you know, and it still looks pretty great. It's a nice, happy medium between like, uh, 
the earlier days and the old days. It's just, everything's very polished. I mean, it might just be because, you know, this is when I started reading it, but I mean, I feel like this volume is going through, you know, up through, I guess, until Millennium Falcon begins, some of my favorite artwork in the series stylistically. I just really like the style, and I think a lot of people feel that way, too. That it's just Yeah, a, I've heard that a lot as yeah. well, for sure. Yeah, 14 is a special place, uh, for sure. I mean, it's, there's a lot. I mean, we usually do kind of, you know, volume recaps and stuff like that for this section, but I just kind of briefly, 14's, uh, it's like the bridge, you know, this is a narrative bridge for guts who we knew in the golden age and the guts we meet in the Black Swordsman arc. And, of course, you know, he's already introduced these other, you know, bridge type ideas like the, you know, the interstice and the brand and all these things that help connect these two elements of this character that we knew. There's two different sides of this character. Um, but we also, it's also a bridge in terms of seeing Gut's personality develop. You know, it's during this fight with Apostle that we see him utilize this, his anger as a weapon, you know, using it to mask fear when he's facing an Apostle. Uh, and kind of the first beginnings of the beast as well. So we'll go ahead and get started. But the shot of uh, Skull Knight and them running through, I just love, Skull Knight just looks kind of happy, you know. I know he's not, but it's just the, it's it's the full frontalness of that it. That big smile on his face. Out. It is. It's a big smile as well. He's always smiling. Happy guy. Gus comments on the speed at which they're running through the forest, which I thought was neat. It kind of gives you a sense of it not being uh, a normal speed. You know, it's enhanced, just like the wind. Gus says, it's driving the style on the the Mercedes Lexus of horses in the astral world. Um. Guts asks, this is the second time you've carried me, and Skullnight explains that he's the one that saved them, rescued them from the eclipse. Yeah. He says something here that made me rethink. He says, uh, Guts says, what? You know, and Skullnight says, oh, don't thank me, it was incidental. I don't think Guts was going to thank him anyway, which yeah. is another Yeah, you know, he's but a it's also, yeah, I like how he, but he immediately tells him, like, yeah, it was basically an accident. <laughs> <laughs> so, we had both come to the same conclusion last time talking about Skull Knight's intentions at breaking through the eclipse that, I mean, I assumed as well based on his interaction with guts in volume nine, that he was setting guts up to be a survivor then. And he busts through the eclipse to claim guts and happens to grab Casca. Hmm. But he's saying it's incidental. Yeah, he came, I think he, he came to kill void. And as he was, so here we go. he failed <laughs> and reopen the debate. Cause this kind of much, this kind of, I agree that kind of this, this line kind of solidifies What's that the debate. Yeah. I mean, clearly <laughs> now I'm just setting the, the bait here. But I mean, I was, I was quite convinced last time that Void itself was incidental. And I, I don't know. I would, uh, I would say, I would say you can read it both ways, but this well, line kind of, well, I mean, if he can, if he can kill them. the, if he can cut off the head of the snake, you know, why would he care about saving, you know, why would Guts be the first priority? You know, I, I could see yeah. where, you know, that his attack failed and he's getting out, you know, he has to sort of creating a diversion or trying to get out of there. Because it's still kind of a dicey situation. I I presume Skull Knight is not, you know, completely uh, invulnerable. And, uh, you know, he happens to get guts on the way out. Well, yeah. that's strange because, I mean, the way Art is up and he actually goes down to, to guts. So that's not really, you know, like if he just wanted to give a strike and then, you know, go back, he would have rebounded and jumped back through the sun. So I'm not sure about that. But I think in any case, we... Probably should be checking out that line, you know, might, might okay. actually be wrong. Oh, but, okay. um, <clears throat> but in any case, uh, beyond that, uh, yeah, yeah, it's possible he, 
he he tried to get a shot at Void. Well, I mean, he did, you know, I mean, give it a it shot. I mean, it could also be oh, that both <laughs> these things were kind of on his list. And, it, you know, it doesn't yeah. really matter. You know, he Void was there first, you know, so he tried to kill him. And then, you know, as he went down to see, you know, to maybe he already was aware of Guts. You know, I mean, he might have been able to see him from up there. He doesn't necessarily well, yeah. have to go <laughs> looking for him. And then, uh, yeah, and he got him on the way out. What's sure is that he warned Guts uh, before the eclipse to be ready for that time. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and, and we know that, I mean, <clears throat> it wasn't likely for Guts to actually survive without outside help. So, you know, I, I think, the, you know, he went in there knowing that, you know, there was a change to, sa- to save him. But uh, I think what Azil, what Azil, what you just said, that's the part that really matters. I mean, we're debating his intentions, but the end result was he was able to strike at Void and failed, but then immediately bounded down to get Guts, and he got him out. And that's really all that matters, you know, his intentions... You know, we spent like an hour talking about Zod's intentions, but it, his actions are more important than his intentions, and... As far as the story's concerned, mm-hmm. I think. Well, yeah, but my point is that, I mean, the Skullite, in any case, warned Guts about this. So it's not like yeah. it was, a, you know, a random event or, you know... Oh, well, yeah, he's also, totally... He, he, I, I hate to really put this into nerd overdrive, but, you know, as you said, how out, you know, his escape was upwards, you know, so why did he go down? Yeah. Now, do we know, again, this is the flying horse versus a, a horse that jumps very, very far, you know, debate. Did he oh, have wow. to... Did he have to go down in order to get back up? Could he have just sliced <laughs> and then gotten back up? Like, You're saying didn't he need somewhere to bounce? Is what I you mean, mean right? yeah, where it's like, you know, he, he could have landed on the palm and tried to go back up, but then, you know, why didn't he try to kill the other god hand or attack Femto or, you know, stay there and fight? I mean, presumably there was some danger to him staying there as well. It was, you know, just a risky maneuver. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just all over well, the was map, re- but... Uh, I think it was risky uh, in any case, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure we can really argue that kind of stuff because <laughs> it's you know there's not too much to say. Be, be, you know, uh, not a lot say. of solid <laughs> information. Yeah, beyond what's in the volume, we don't have uh, much to go on. But uh, yeah, it, it, in any case, it was a pretty risky maneuver. I'm just and, saying uh, it might know... have been the better. You know, he had probably a better chance maybe at escaping the way he did than if he had just tried to go directly back out. It's a possibility. Well, I, he he did go directly, you know, towards Femto. So uh, you know, I, I'm not sure about that. But what's what's sure is that in any case, I mean, the Skull Knight. We know he's been trying to, you know, strike at the God Hand. Do you think he would have attacked Femto, but that Femto's uh, aggressive, you know, move just sort of deterred him? Like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to have well, an that's opportunity. That's a good question. I I actually think if his main goal had been like to strike as a god hand, it would have made sense for him to try to actually attack Femto instead of... Yeah, actually, if, theoretically, That's if he had point. gotten there, you know, a couple of minutes sooner, if Zod hadn't delayed him, he might have been able to kill <laughs> Femto right as he, you know, sort of stood up. Well, that would know. have been super awkward. <laughs> that well, would have been a, that well. would have really been a boring series to the rest of it if that had just... You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe he did uh, once before. Huh? Wow. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm just, I'm just. <laughs> Are you saying Aelzir was the fifth god hand originally? Oh god! <laughs> no, no, but uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> First anyway. mention of Aelzir on the podcast. Yeah, but you know, maybe that was once. To, you know, once. <laughs> um, getting back to the volume here. Um, I like how Guts asks him straight out, "Who are you?" and Skull Knight just gives him this insanely cryptic reply saying, I'm the foe of the Inhumans. 
And that's all I'll say for now. Or that's enough for now. Uh, either way, it's like, you know, maybe a little embellishment would be neat, nice. I know it's not the right moment for it, but maybe now's the right time, Mr. Skull Knight. Maybe now would be a good time to tell us a little more about yourself. Uh, well, he, I think I think we've earned. I don't it know why readers. he's so adamant too. You know, like in, in the Dark Horse version, at least it's got the the all is like italicized yeah, in a bigger font. You know, it's just like, well, hold yeah. on a minute. I mean, it's not a press conference where you're being hounded. He just asked you. That's all I'll say for now. <laughs> he didn't even show that level of interest. <laughs> like, it's it's typical of the Dark Horse thing. They off they often add emphasis wherever they feel like it. it where it's not worthy. Yeah, it's a bit weird, actually. <clears throat> anyway, uh, he's cryptic, but. Uh, they're talking about the, I mean, again, it's the confluence of these things happening. I got to ask them, why did you choose that place? How did you know I had a connection there? And Skull Knight didn't know. It just happened to be the closest safe place. And, uh, we get a little, we get a little bit of lore about the uh, other kind of elves. Uh, I don't think he doesn't say dwarves. He just calls them elves or Yose. Yeah, Yose. But they are different looking than Puck, you know. Uh, at least they look a little more bulbous, I guess. Uh, well, a little more like, go ahead. They look like miners, you know? Like, yeah, uh, for sure, yeah. And, they also uh, kind of look like smurfs. Says, <laughs> Just, I mean, they, they do look like smurfs. You see the silhouette, but. <laughs> Interestingly, that's, uh, that's pretty close to the, how to say, uh, traditional, you know, uh, look of elves. Yeah. Norse mythology. There so, are several types, but, you know, yeah, these look, uh, a bit like. Oh, you know, also what important is that mm-hmm. we don't see any wings on them, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. because, uh, you know, Piskis are, you know, uh, associated with the wind element, and these guys are pretty clearly associated with the earth element. So, yeah, yeah I, I know that. I'm saying it's important that this distinction is being drawn now, before we even knew of multiple species of elves, you know. At yeah. this point, the only elf we'd ever seen is Puck. So well, this is saying there are multiple types of elves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and they actually, Skolna even says that the earth's energy is strong here. So, you're right. I mean, it, it makes total sense that it, these would be dwarves, uh, other than all the obvious visual imagery we're getting here. Anyway, um, Skull Knight says that the, it, all, all these things were chance. The, the fact that those, those the, the mines had kind of elven protection on them, and the fact that the elf dust here. And Skull Knight makes an assertion that perhaps you have some connection to the elves. Um, which, you know has been read a number of different ways across Berserk's history. I think he's an elf man. I think he's an elf man. Elf yes. Man. <laughs> a popular theory in 2001. Look at his well, ears. Um... Yeah, his ears are pointed, so he must be half elf. It makes sense they're protecting their own kind. Zeal loves it when we get like this. Yeah. I did actually want to ask what you guys thought of this. Um because Guts look in the next panel is a little I don't know how to put it. Um, He's thinking of Cheech, obviously. I mean, I'm not necessarily getting at that. That Mira had that kind of idea this early on, but maybe he had something. So I thought about that as well, and Wait, my answer for that is what's, what's, um, what's the question? I, I the uh, question just, is what is what is that quizzical look on Guts? What is Guts' response? Yeah. Whenever Skull Knight makes that assertion about when he says you have some connection to the elves. Now, in retrospect, I mean, now that we have the the new episode mm-hmm. with Cheech, it's like, it's really kind of cool to like make that connection, you know, that he yeah. might be remembering that, you know, or he might just have a bitter feeling, you know, because of that. But, uh, what the hell was his intention at the time here? Or is it just sort of mysterious? It's, it's 
No, if, I mean, if look at the following panel, what Skull Knight's response yeah, is. Yeah, he says you don't want to hear posits. all this uh, Destiny stuff. I mean, Gus doesn't want to be tied to any grander scheme like that. That's that's yeah. how I read this panel, was Skull Knight's laying all this heavy-handed shit at him, like, about his destiny, all these things are connected. Maybe <laughs> even you have the connection to the elves. Like, he doesn't want, he yeah. doesn't want any part of it, at this supernatural shit, you know. It's well, cool to, maybe to reinterpret had, it now. Maybe he had planned it all along, that chish flashback. I think that is a long shot, oh. but I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to listen. <laughs> I, I want, you know, you know that poster in Fox Mulder's office with the you know, <laughs> flying saucer? Well, I want, I want to believe. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, in the context, yeah, it's probably just him saying, like, you know, what a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, you've been doing some elf dust, it sounds like, so... <laughs> <laughs> When we transition away, we're talking about uh, why, why Casca is outside. Yep. Uh, and Skull Knight's saying that she must have left the cave. And Guts, it's kind of reality is hitting Guts about what it's going to, what life is going to be like for them. They can't live outside or they can't be outside the cellar because of the protection of the cave. Yeah. And uh, it needs to be a place in the sunlight because if once the sun sets, uh, the darkness will come in. Anyway, they arrive on the scene. Um, and we see Casca kind of on the horizon on, the, on a cliff with these uh, lights swirling around her unnaturally. I like this shot we have uh, after Guts and the Skull Knight leap off of a little cliff and they land. This uh, kind of Skull Knight in the foreground, Casca in the background. I like that. The way that's paneled, the posing of yeah. it. Yeah, it's nice. Anyway, this, the ghouls are <laughs> circling around Casca. And uh, kind of, it's interesting as they're not touching her. Skull Knight no- notices that they're they're not uh, inflicting harm on her. They're kind of just gathered around uh, for a show, maybe. Well, it's the first time where Casca sort of takes on this supernatural kind of magnetism herself, because obviously she's got the the child in her, and then later when it's protecting her, and you know, it's it's this <laughs> weird relationship that she has with the supernatural world, because you know she's obviously the bearer of the demon child. And so, yeah. therefore, kind yeah. of an important person. So we know something's wrong immediately because she doesn't react to Guts whenever he arrives and puts well, his arm on her. Yeah, the, the Skull Knight, you know, says so right away. You know, he, he knows, you know, something's wrong because they're not attacking her. So... Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and she has this look on her face like she's in pain and she doubles over and Guts, you know, screams at her, what's wrong with you, you know? But I actually like, despite this being a horrific moment, it's also kind of a tender moment because she's actually comfortable holding him. Well, she's actually grabbing him so hard she's digging into his shoulders yeah, too. Yeah, like and he's bleeding. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's, n- it's nice that he's here when she's giving birth. Essentially, I agree. Oh. It's uh it's fitting. Yeah. And uh, birth happens. Uh, which is interesting is what's interesting is its size. As it comes out, is... I would never think of this scene described as like fitting, <laughs> like in any way. It well, I guess it, it I, I agree, Azil. It's it's nice that Azil. It's nice that Azil. It's nice that guts happen to be yeah. there for this moment. The the mom and the dad. That's all. Yeah, and um, it's. Uh, I think it's touching. You know, even though it's a uh, it's a terrible thing that's been done to their child yeah. and everything like that, but uh, yeah, she's you know the way she's crying and holding on to him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a uh, yeah. I think it's fitting that he's there rather than mm-hmm. she would be doing that alone. And and I like the way <clears throat> it's a uh, the shot is framed when you actually see the birth. You know, like the blood dropping, guts face in the dark. Yeah, and then you yeah. S- you see that 
you know, little face, that little, little eye. eye. You know? <clears throat> so, he still manages yeah, to I make think... it seem like a, you know, like a baby. Yeah. Like, even uh, even though it's this uh, this thing. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And Gus' he... reaction to it as well, after we turn the page and we see... It's like right out of the horror comics. Of... Right. Is it the light sourcing from below? Yeah. A kind of a horror, yeah. A look of horror as it, it makes eye contact with this creature whose eye does not look like babies. <laughs> Uh, and his immediate reaction is to stomp on it, calling it a demon. Yeah, because he he actually is interesting that he doesn't realize, like yeah. he doesn't realize it's a child. He just thinks first, it's a monster. You know? Yeah, another one of yeah. These. He thinks something that had possessed her or whatever. He he doesn't you know get it. Right. I mean, it could be something that happened like to Gaston, for example. Yeah. Well, and he thinks Casca yeah. is you know just nuts. You know, he doesn't know what she's doing, and it's Skull Knight who has to spell it out for him. Right. And. Skull Knight actually, you know, he's the one that says that, you know, she had been pregnant and uh, the contact with Femto was what ta- caused it to be possessed by evil. Uh, and we actually see it during his panels. We see it growing here. We see its back growing and it's making these sounds as well, swelling up in size. So that when we see it again on the page, it's quite a bit larger, almost like a size of a loaf of bread or something. Well, I think it's uh, attained the size of a normal baby, you know. Like right, but well, it, when it's first, it when it first comes out, it's first. you know, it's like it looks like it's the size of like a quarter, you know. Yeah, and it yeah. well, it's uh, it's because it was you know like it was still developing. It it wasn't even a fetus, yeah. So it comes out prematurely because of uh, the you know evils that corrupted it. But mm-hmm. after it's out, it grows. It immediately, to the size you know, of it's swelling. You know, it's this yeah. would be a great scene, d- like to see you know, like done in live action to see it growing and you know moving. I mean, it would just be horrifying. Yeah. And it mm. also explains why he's misshap, like mis, you know, misshaped like that, because it's a, uh, you know, like he was burst, you know, prematurely, and he grew to his, you know, normal size, you know, yeah. through evil. So that's why he's deformed like that. It's uh, yeah, it's interesting. We see, um, Skull Knight calls it a, a cursed child, and he actually asks that guts. Uh, he recommends that he kills kill it, and. Right then, actually, during those moments, is guts. It's kind of like, it's kind of yeah. hidden guts that it's his child. Yeah, it's, it's uh, during yeah. these pan- panels. And he actually hesitates, you know, like yeah, when he he's says, telling him to wait. Yeah, yeah. he also tells him to shut up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but what? But when he sees the boy, you know, it, it's actually I, I think it's a really great, you know, uh, great idea. Mira had to to have the the boy try to. You know, uh, feed, and instead of going for the nipple, he goes mm-hmm. for the brand. Yeah, and starts I think that's yeah. blood. Yeah, it is a that is a holy shit moment yeah. for me. Yeah, seeing that nursing and, on the brand and, and, and guts, the brand represents. And yeah, oh. and Gus just grabs it because, yeah, he's reversed and so right. Yeah. So this this child, it's one of the more strokes of brilliance for Miura, I think, on on all levels for the introduction of this. First of all, it's a huge curveball in our expectations for what the Black Swordsman era would be. We knew there was this misshapen child haunting guts from volume one, but it wasn't explained or what it is. It had no connection to guts or casca or anything like that. So now that we know it's his son and the fact that it's this misshapen thing. Well, yeah, the thing is we knew the, you know, he wasn't just any random specter or such a thing. He purposely haunted guts, but yeah, we never knew why or how it's never explained. So yeah, to, to get that, you know, answer then is like, it's a big, you know, oh fuck moment. 
It's also, I mean, the timing of this as well. All these hits coming, uh, these emotional turmoil hits, one after the other, with the eclipse and learning about Casca, to learning about being haunted at night forever, to then having this happen to your son. Yeah. They'd be thrust into fatherhood like this in this context. But about the son, though, the boy, um, again, I think it's a really brilliant moment for Miura, and because the child itself is innocent, and it was brought into the struggle between these three people, basically, and really, I mean, because of Femto, but it's the result of these this confluence of these three things, Casca, Guts, and Griffith. And it's been, through Guts, you know, hated from birth, you know, Gus tries to kill it yeah. uh, multiple times. Casca is, you know, fighting with Guts. Well, of course, the, the child asks for none of this, and ultimately seeks them out again uh, in a different form, you know, and tries to be with his parents whenever mm-hmm. he can, despite all the, you know, the barriers. I, I think it's, this is, his building is fascinating character. Yeah, and I mean, he's, yeah. like you said, all these... this character's been around since Volume 1. It predates, you know, Casca and everything else. We, who knows if, you know, she was even in Mira's, you know, a twinkle in his eye at that point. But it is just yeah. so interesting the way, and then even Guts is conflicted, you know, he initially tries to smash it when he thinks it's a demon, but a- after that point, he actually doesn't really know what to do, you know, it's like that moment where he stops and he tells Skull Knight to shut up, and then he grabs it off her, but then, you know, he could have mashed it in his hand, you know, right then, but instead yeah. he's looking at it, and it's, you know, there's it's, it's literally like squirming around in there, you know, and you just imagine it's this dicey moment, and, you know, he's... He's saying in his mind, you know, how it's a demon and it's one of the things that killed them and did this to her. And, you know, but he's still, you can tell he's conflicted because he doesn't just kill it. He he yeah. very easily could then, have. There's that shot of the, the boy looking at him, you know, or yeah. him looking at the boy and yeah. Yeah, that exchange. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty, you know, pretty strong, you know, like uh, as far as emotion goes. And, uh. And the fact he actually disappears at the time, like the light goes on and he yeah. just disappears from from. Oh yeah, Casca's reaction is yeah. really tough. As, you know, it it really is as, as if guts made it yeah. disappear. As far as she's concerned, yeah, you know? yeah, it's got to be rough. And that's when Skull Knight realizes it's his, you know, kid. And guts is crying too, because I mean, so yeah. obviously. You know, he feels very strong emotions about the child that, you know, and I mean, we don't really even touch on it until later because, I mean, they have this sort of weird adversarial relationship that we see in Volume 1 and continuing, you know, I think in 15 when, you know, the, the child, like, is, like, coming to visit him, but uh, it's not. Yeah, actually, that was how I initially viewed their relationship, like, long ago, but I don't, I think it's a one-sided adversarial relationship. I think the kid is just trying yeah, to Yeah, he's just trying dad. to come I mean, there, but I mean, it's just, it's yeah. Sort of, yeah. it can't be helped, you know? I mean, when the kid tries sure, to be sure. close to Guts, it brings these demons, and obviously it's protecting Casca, you know, directly and intervening when, you know, it, otherwise, there's no reason for, for it. There's, and, there's uh, a, there's a few times, uh, the child actually, I guess, taunts Guts, you know, when yeah. he takes on Vargas face or when he's in the fire, you know, uh, during the Lost Children chapter. But, uh, yeah, globally, and, and even in these cases, you, you could say that he's trying to communicate, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, sort of, it's or, lashing back, you know. Hmm. It's, yeah, it's not unlike gets, a child and parents. Obviously, it's, you know, there would not be a situation like that between the children and parents, yeah. but the way children act out. Yeah, but, and I think even at the time, you know, you could say he was trying to show guts what you know, he should do what's good and what's bad, yeah. you know, and uh, to try to jolt him, you know, towards, you know, the right path, which is still what he's doing pretty much, you know, nowadays. So, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty important character. But yeah, and I guess we didn't really get to see Guts 
sort of get more thoughtful <clears throat> about him until recently. When, uh, he... Well, I, I think it actually evolved. I think when uh, the the boy appears to warn him of what Casca's, you know, yeah. uh, the danger she's... Uh, I think at the time, God's already less aggressive. And uh, then he sees the boy, you know, inside the, the Beherit Abbas. And he knows, you know, and, uh, what happened. He kind of has an inherent understanding. Yeah. And, and then, you know, the, the big time where there's really the big difference is when he's in the cabin... You know, as a bitch, and yeah. there's a, the, the boy has appeared, and then he sinks back to his son, and, and that time you, you can say he's really, he's grown. Yeah, you know, that's, like, yeah. that's no. what I was referencing as being like the first time we sort of saw him actually actively just sit and thoughtfully consider it, you know, where it wasn't something where he's confronting him, you know, or it's a moment yeah. where he's warning him about Casca, where he's just sitting there and he starts thinking, you know, you know, whatever, I wonder what happened to him. I guess he's still out there somewhere. And you could yeah. tell he, he, he kind of empathizes, yeah, he with, empathizes them. with him and he yeah. feels bad. It also, I think it also shows growth on uh, God's part, you know, uh, between yeah. the Black Soulsman arc and who he was at the time and who he became after he was with, you know, more people again. And again, I've said this multiple times throughout this, this show, this podcast, but like the fact that Mira didn't necessarily need to have this additional layer. I mean, I think the the act of revenge and the character motivations alone are compelling enough to carry the story through but he added this kind of connective tissue between these three characters and this, this innocent child has been thrust into the situation i think it just makes it so much more interesting particularly with where it might be going in terms of how this conflict will be resolved i think it's going to be pretty rough Anyway, um, Skull Knight gives him some additional knowledge about the nature of the child and that uh, he can reappear. He's not gone for good. Um, he'll one day yearn to be with you, as all children do. Yeah, he's sick, you know, his parents. <clears throat> right. It's actually, you know, interesting because in a way, Mura, how to say, reused that kind of stuff with uh, the Daka, you know, the creation process of the Daka, uh, you know, during volume 27 with Ganishka. Mm-hmm. Where you see them, you know, pregnant women thrust into uh, the other world or whatever, you know, they're thrust in, and then is uh, you know, you know, how to say, embryos being uh, corrupted, and you know, the demonic children, you know, erupting out and uh, <clears throat> killing their mothers mm-hmm. in the process. So mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it's interesting that it's not just a unique case. Like Murai sh- shows showed us again that you know this kind of process can exist. Like you can almost replicate it on indu- industrial scale. Yeah, so. well, and I mean, uh, and also, I mean, it was a little different, but the thing with the trolls, too, so it's really sort of a running, horrifying theme <laughs> with my urine, children, and childbirth. <laughs> yeah. Well, the trolls, it's more like, I think it's more like parasites. It's, it's more disgusting, whereas yeah. it's, it's, this case is more Well, like the trolls are actually just impregnating them somehow themselves, you know, they're not corrupting their children, and that's the difference. That's, some, yeah. that's somehow they're reproducing through human women, which is just, uh, that w- that scene, well, that's for another time, but... <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I actually thought about that, you know, before, and I think, I'm not sure they really need women. I think they could do the with same a horse with pretty much or, any... you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or sheep or whatever. They just need a place for the thing to grow, you know. And uh, but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty gruesome in any case. Uh, he tells guts. Skull Knight tells guts as as he's departing that uh, to be mindful that when you're chasing 
uh, those in the darkness. You also envelop yourself in the darkness. And of course, alluding to the beast of darkness and the kind of person that Guts becomes as a result of his travels on hunting apostles. Yeah. So already foreshadowing that, all that stuff. He also tells him, you know, uh, how to say, he helps him get, you know, set on his quest to hunt down apostles. It's, it's pretty interesting, actually. Telling him mm-hmm. to follow the brand, that kind of stuff. It's So he's, in a way, he's still grooming him to become someone like him. You know, a hunter of, uh, you know, the, you know, inhumans. <clears throat> He actually gives him a choice. He says, if you intend to continue on that, if you continue to hunt them down, then follow the brands. Like, it's like, you have an out here, but I kind of know what you're going to do. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, uh, episode ends as Rickert and Erica arrive on the scene. Probably uh, inexplicable to what, how do you even convey that? You know, yeah. Let's just go home. What I liked is anyway. that, you know, throughout all this, Casca actually stayed in God's arm, you know, he keeps her in her, his arms. Yeah. Again, I think given what's happened, it's fitting. Even though she's, you know, she doesn't want, she recoils from any male touch. It's interesting. Her reaction here, and also Casca's uh, association or, or, or sense for the child being what it is, I just, I can't imagine she's going to wake up uh, in Elfhelm uh, or come to her senses and not immediately think of the child. You know, I, I have to imagine mm-hmm. that's going to be a big part of her initial reaction to coming to sanity. Actually, I wonder if maybe she won't remember, but, you know, mm-hmm. like it it will come to her. Or maybe she'll sense him. You know, yeah, I saw that once. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. Her coming back to herself. And, you know, you know, the next time there's a full moon, you know, that feeling in her brain and she crushes and, you know, she's like, you know, she knows, you know, and then mm-hmm. it comes back to her. She knows, you know, so... Oh, that'd be cool, too. Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on, uh, we have these two shots of Guts as a black swordsman just continuing to, you know, hype us up for when he puts on the dragon sword and all that. Uh, this whole episode is about uh, Guts getting equipped, getting all these di- various uh, signature items and weaponry that make well, him who he is. Well, it starts with the lowest Becoming... of the low red shirt apostles. This guy makes Wild look like, you know, the <laughs> the, the king of England or something. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, I mean, this is a real garbage pail. He's basically apostle. a bum. I mean, the bum apostle. I mean, we see him sniffing the ground. You know, he's obviously hunting down the scent of the brand, or just sacrifice in general. <laughs> and no one wants anything to do with him. So he's just some kind of gross little guy. Little. Yeah. Anyway, we zoom over to Godot's cabin, and we see that you know he actually hadn't been shown during that initial sequence. He was you know working. Uh, for, uh, as a blacksmith, Erica snatches the keys and takes Grickert to uh, you know his go to his secret stash, uh, all the things he's been working on, his trade, and Rickert you know sees so many things that are specific to items that we know Guts eventually has. He has the repeating crossbow we see and the the metal arm and the cannon arm. I guess Rickert must have assembled kind of off screen uh, between this and the next few mm-hmm. episodes. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, at first we see the cannon, but it's not yet modified to fit into an artificial arm, so. Yeah. Yeah, and he actually has several of them. <clears throat> right, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, actually, it's funny because Goto is surprised when he sees the cannon, like, you know, you made that into a cannon or made it into a cannon arm? I thought that was cool. Anyway, uh, we have this introduction to the Dragon Slayer. I just love the, the atmosphere of the scene. Yeah. It's kind of in darkness. <laughs> It really reminds me of the uh, Berserk armor when we first see that sitting oh, there sure, yeah. in the darkness. Yeah. Good point. 
Um, <clears throat> we got a little background on on Godot, actually. On I like how his yeah. Erica's explaining. Uh, actually, Godot, sorry, Godot comes in, and Erica was merely saying that he made that for a king long ago. Uh, Godot comes in and finishes the story. Yeah, well, it's funny because she comes in like by them. surprise. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. her her face is uh <laughs> is pretty, you know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, he doesn't even bring it up. He just con- continues on with the story, and I like how it reveals a lot about Godot's she, character. She's the one you know? actually who says uh, it's for, uh, King sent out a programmation. She just says it's a Dragon Slayer, and then he starts explaining. Okay. But the. Uh, we learn a little bit about Godot's character or his personality from this. And now, of course, we know a little bit about him from Volume 10 as well. But he says that he's tired of making these, you know, ador- well-adorned, you know, flashy weapons. And that they that got away from what a sword's, you know, function is. And so we learn a little bit. About his, he's got a pragmatic philosophy yeah. towards weaponry. And, you know, even that, even that attitude is attuned to guts. You know, even that and. The Dragon Slayer, although Godot doesn't recognize it as such, it's really his masterpiece, you know, that fully uh, comes from his philosophy of weaponry, that the weapon should suit its task, and that is exactly what the yeah, Dragon Slayer is. this is a weapon is. that could kill. It's got this, the great image of just the uh, very traditional-looking dragon's head split in half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The one that ails you are killed. Yeah. Anyway, um, <clears throat> he made this sword, this, you know, totally unremarkable, ugly slab of iron for a sword, and it was so it so offended them that they couldn't wield it that, you know, he had to escape uh, the kingdom. <laughs> well, I, love I don't the... think he made... The, I, I don't think he made, yeah, I mean, the fact it's ugly is just, you know, a side effect of the fact it's so huge, because he yeah. literally made one that could kill a dragon. It's all, yeah. it's all function and no, you know, form. No, it's... Uh, yeah. You know, whereas we see the other example when he's complaining about those sort of all show no go swords, you know, on the other page. Mm-hmm. I also like his old man storytelling technique where he's like sticking his tongue out when he's talking about being hung. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's he's relishing the moment. <laughs> yeah. And actually, he actually reflects that um, he thinks it was a mistake to do it like this, to to make this. He says it's a reminder. To, to not lose track of uh, form over function. But of course he's wrong, and <laughs> yeah. we see that very soon. Um, uh, Rickard asks, could it kill a dragon? And Godot just kind of like, you know, gives him this evil grin. If they existed, yeah. Uh, but Rickard, you know, the thing is with Rickard, he knows there are supernatural creatures out there. He's seen Zod, he's seen Roisin and the Count and all these things. He's experienced supernatural horrors himself, so he knows it's possible that there's something like that could be out there. Yeah. <clears throat> And Godot's commenting on Guts and his condition, and we have this kind of like overlaid narrative as Guts is out there training, uh, training with his, his eyesight, you know, seeing if he still has it, if he still has what it takes to take on something with a sword, given his new weaknesses, and he's training with waterfalls and manages to slash uh, a fish in half despite his vision being partially obscured. Yeah. We see the kind of the first person effects of that as well. Should this fish be included in the Gut skill roster? <laughs> yes. One fish. Okay. All right, I'll, I should probably. Well, he, he has, you know, killed fishes. You know, I was thinking, I was trying to think know, of other examples that. of him killing fish. Well, you know, we see him and Casca eat fish uh, in Volume Twenty One. So, oh, is I don't, I don't have that. Presumably, one he's, uh, yeah, he's killed that in Twenty Three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he, he's killed a snake. Uh, do we, you know, is a snake in the roster? It is. The snake no, is in the, the roster. Fish oh. has to be in the roster. 
Yeah. <laughs> write that down. I, what I really yeah. like about this, I mean, <laughs> everything about this scene is really cool. This uh, Godo talking about dragons, you know, and them not being real, and then applying it to Guts and sort of his intentions, you know. He, I like his attitude. Really. He looks like he wants to fight a dragon, you know. But he gets a little philosophical where he's talking about how dragons are dragons because people can't fight dragons, you know. That's the point. Hmm. Yeah. And I really <laughs> love that's the whole point of it. Yeah, I love the picture of... Uh, of guts, you know, just when you see him concentrating with the the sound of the water behind him, just that shot in the middle of the page of his, just his uh, his eyes and you know, his focus. I like, I like that it's it's dragons that they use to describe these supernatural creatures beyond human reach. When of course there's a natural parallel to that, an actual mirrored mm. supernatural creature in the berserk world of the apostles. But of course, in lore yeah. and in myth, myth, myth uh, it came down as dragons being. You know what the danger is out there. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they could be saying you know demons or monsters or anything like that. But I mean, dragons mm-hmm. are sort of the yeah the mythological like they're you know here there be dragons you know on the map you know mm-hmm. don't go out here like this sort of right. beyond human yeah reach. exactly like he says you know the dragons are dragons because humans can't fight them and that's sort of what guts is approaching. That's the summit yeah. he's going towards. So um. Gus is, is is pleased with his reaction at this, the with, with the uh, the fish, but and he sets out on. He tells the Rickard he's leaving the next day, but uh, Rickard tries to talk him out of it. But of course, it's not going to happen. Is it Rickard or Guts that's having this inner monologue? I guess it's Rickard uh, when he looks at the tornado. I guess it's Rickard. Yeah, yeah, it's yes. uh, it's yeah. Rickard who's thinking. He he's saying, well, he doesn't want to admit it, but he knows uh, Ben of the Falcon is uh, is gone. They're all dead. Right. Because at this point, Guts has not told him anything about what's happened. Yeah, that's rough. But I mean, well, maybe it's kinder that he didn't, you know? Yeah, and uh, especially at this age, and to explain to him that Griffiths betrayed everyone, you know? Oh, yeah. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, that's uh, that's why he only tells him when he insists in, uh, in Volume 22. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. um... They have to lock Casca down there, and Rickert comments, it's like a prisoner guts, you know, you can kind of see. He's not exactly psyched to be one-on-one like this either. She's not happy about being in his presence, so. Yeah. It's just a rough situation. Um, you know, she's, she's a reminder of, in a way, of what happened at the eclipse, and the fact that the woman he loves is here, but it's just a shell of her, it's not truly her. Yeah, and she's not... She doesn't like him. She's, you know, yeah, she yeah. hates him, and you know, she gets excited when he brings the food out, <laughs> which is, you know, yeah. yeah, she gets this ravenous little look on her face, which is funny. It's cute. cute. White shows, you know, yeah, it shows the state of mind she's in. She, she eats like almost like an animal. Yeah, you know? she's very feral, very wild, and you know, spills the soup yeah. all over herself, which leads to yeah. a very, very awkward moment. <laughs> Yeah, so right before that happens, it spills Guts' comments that they've been here for a oh. month. Yeah. Uh, and their reaction's getting slightly better that she's not running away. She's actually sitting at the table with him to a certain extent, you know, able to sit there and join a meal together. So there's some growth happening, but... It also shows and, that he's tried, you know? Yeah. Like, he's probably tried hard to, to live like that, to stay with her, but he just, you know, he's not willing to, to keep doing that. Right. And uh, she spills food on her and Guts struggles to... It's, it's hot soup, I'm assuming, and so he's trying to get it cleaned and then her shirt rips and 
He uh, is overtaken. Oh, incredibly but, strong. But, he just rips her shirt right off, <laughs> like, by accident, yeah. was what's impressive about it. Just, whoops! <laughs> like, there it goes. Yeah. I think I think it's because she's spring back. Yeah, you know, she's and, falling, uh, and he's, you know, trying to pull on it, you know. Right. But yeah, so he tries to, you know, it's almost, you know, like this intimate moment, you know, that he's trying to have. And, you know, at first it just doesn't look like she, you don't know what, what way she's going to go with this. You know, there's this yeah. sort of weird, you know, moment where, I mean, I like, I love, I love the shot of like just his lower face and his mouth, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's a great way to yeah. just convey feeling. And, you know, he puts his hand on the bed and it's like, you know, he's obviously doing this sort of aggressive move to initiate you know some kind of intimate contact and yeah she just pushes him away and freaks out on him and runs because yeah he's he's really i mean yeah like you said he sort of got overtaken and didn't realize the situation it's a really obviously if this was just any stranger (laughs) any any other circumstance it would be quite a bit different given her condition but the fact that it's casca it looks just like her you know It, it, it is her and so he lost and then he has the yeah he has that moment where he's just sitting there and it's like it's you know puts his hand over his face oh yeah that zoom away yeah uh, shot with his surrounded by light like that it's horrible yeah and, and the, the 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 sound in the background of the, the, her rattling the cage as well is just it's rough yeah well I think it also needs to be said like I mean Goto points this out to him later that like. You know, he did not handle this well, even though, yeah, it's been a month and he's sort of put in his effort, but, you know, progress had been made. But he, you know, he chooses Mm -hmm. to, you know, to leave for his own reasons. And, you know, literally his plan is, you know, like his instructions are, yeah, keep her locked in the cave while I'm gone. (laughs) You know, it's like it's for her own good. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you can stay there and protect her and maybe help, you know, help her along and form some sort of bond with her and maybe she'd come out of it. But, you know, he's going to split, so... I mean, I think yeah. that's, yeah. you know, it's it's understandable to his character and everything, but it's also something that I think, you know, rightfully he was called to task for and should, you know, kind of haunt him. And I'd be interested to see, I I hope, you know, it's brought up again when she when she does come back. Like, you know, what, what were you thinking there? <laughs> like, why did you leave me? Mm. Why did you think that would be okay? I feel like he... That, I, I'm not saying that won't happen, that moment of confrontation, but I feel like Guts resolved those feelings within himself in Volume 17, or at least he came to terms yeah. with what had happened and chose to correct it by seeking her out. And that's something yeah, to yeah. start. Right? I, mean, I mean, I definitely, well, I, I, see, yeah. I see his side of it. I also see just like, you could also, you know, you could look at him very unfavorably here too, where it's like, it's oh, like yeah, obviously sure. he's sympathetic, you know, you get inside his head in the character, but I mean, just objectively, she could be really, really, you know, like she could just decide never to forgive him, you know, if she, if she wanted. It's like, we also well, see the other side, he's trying to protect her, he's trying to, you know, do right by her, but, you know, he does a lot of bad things to her as well in that process. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it's interesting, it's complicated. I think it's, it's a matter of weight, yeah. I guess, you know? Yeah. I, I think he's been clumsy, and in this case, his choice to depart is selfish. But at the same time, I mean, you, you, we know he's felt uh, very strong remorse for that, and we know he doesn't look upon himself favorably in that regard. But at the same time, he's also done a lot for her, you know, since then. And uh, and yeah, I think I, I don't see how she could, like, hold it. Well, I mean, he did try to rape her, like, in point 23. Well, that's, that's, that's later on. I mean, 
but she also she also knows you know who this guy is she for him to go off seeking revenge like yeah. this to avenge his friends she has well, to know that the other thing is that these guys like you know this is not a modern relationship they are not modern people living by modern you know sort of rules yeah. of engagement uh, is... you know they are very rough and tumble sort of you know guys casca True. as well and, as guts and there's also the fact you know it's not like he had no trauma himself yeah yeah I mean, uh, and a lot of it stems though... from that yeah, even though he brushes it off or anything like that, he's been traumatized. You know, like, it takes a different form than it does for her. But uh even still today, you know, I mean, just thinking about Griffiths can, you know, get him in a rage and he's got his feelings. You know, it's like he says in, in Volume 17, he's like, that last sight of his, you know, uh right eye, it's just, you know never goes away, you know. It's always there, you know, that last sight. So, <clears throat> I think... All these, all of these things can be taken together to explain you know, his behavior, and maybe not, you know, absolve him, but at least, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think he's a bad guy. I'm not, you know, I'm not attacking him. Yeah, why I'm do you hate saying, guts? Yeah, what's huh? your problem, man? <laughs> what the fuck? He lost an eye. <laughs> but, uh, I'm just saying, you know, he's made a lot of mistakes. He's done a lot of bad things himself, and you know, he's called the task force, and he yeah. realizes it. You know, I, I think, yeah, I think he's been. Uh, he, he, He's been clumsy in the way he's handled yeah. things before, several times. Yeah, definitely. I guess, I guess what we're really good boyfriend at material. Is... I guess that's just what I'm trying to get to here. I mean, really? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> yeah, not. Like, no, probably not. Yeah. What? Why? Well, depends what kind of boyfriend you want. I mean, do you want a passionate man? Do you want a man who you know is physical, yeah. and vital? You want a man who would you know, or who some guy who just anyone on the couch. who disrespect you? <laughs> Or even just because they, you know, rub them the wrong way. <laughs> and the next scene we have the sun rising. Um, is it setting or rising? It's rising. And uh, Guts is arming up, getting his armor on. Uh, and he has this, these knives, this belt of knives put over him. And uh, Ricker comments that, you know, did you know how to throw knives? And he says that Judo taught me how to throw them. It's nice that there's a, you know, he's taking a little bit of judo on this trip as well. You know, I think it's a nice little touch to bring that to yeah. reference here. Yep. And uh, Erica comments on the cape that, you know, Drake Guts drapes himself in and saying, uh, why is it black? And he says it's uh, it's because of who I'll be chasing because they're in the darkness. And actually, this line actually produces a reaction in Rickert. He looks very uh, seriously at Guts at that moment. And there's actually, there's a number of reactions from Rickert in this section. He, Almost as if, you know, he sees these changes yeah, happening. And he does, I mean, I guess the biggest one, the reaction is, you know, there's sort of the stern and serious, sternness, seriousness, but also a little disapproval. You know, he, he real, he yeah. recognizes too, like he was trying to tell him before when he said he's leaving, like, you know, you don't have to go. Like, you know, he yeah. sort of sees the other way, even though Guts doesn't. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's just interesting to see, you know, and just like Guts is obviously... I mean, it's it's interesting how much thought he's put into this, you know, the all-wearing black and everything there, and Rickard just does not like the decision he's made here, embracing, right. you know, the, this darkness. He shows him, uh, I mean, I don't know for sure because of the way the things are paneled and drawn, but after the line about being in the darkness and the reaction shot, it looks like Guts is turned towards the door, and then Rickard says... Oh, here, Guts, try this on. And there's this mechanical arm. Of course, it has a cannon in it, and they try it on. But, like, 
Was Guts about to walk out the door? Was he going to say, well, see ya. I'm just going to walk out here without no, an arm. No, and, I mean, uh, hope it goes for the best. So he's standing there next to Erica. Okay. But he didn't know the arm existed, I guess. So he was no, ready he to was set gonna out. He was going to take a sword. So he was, yeah. But he he, he probably would have just left without an arm, though. If they had an if if they hadn't offered him an artificial arm, I think he would have just left without an arm. I don't even think he thought to ask. Hey, do you guys have a? Oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. of course not. I guess my point is like, what kind of quest would that have <laughs> if been? If he had gone without it, you know, it's not just the arm. He would have also been using just you know that you know uh, Jose Longsword that little that that, uh, that P shooter that, that uh, shitty little sword that, he, that Godo tries to give him. So yeah. I think it's uh, it also shows that he was willing to uh, set back his expectations a bit. I mean, he was going at it like I wouldn't say unprepared, but on a much full-hearted. Yeah, it's uh, on a, on a much lower, you know, preparedness level or whatever that means. My point is, without the dragon slant, the arm, it would have been a lot harder for or, him. Or I mean, yeah, I mean, really, it would have been more foolhardy, you know. Once he gets the dragon slayer, that's where you can really see the table. I mean, literally, it's illustrated how the tables turn when he gets that yeah, sword. Yeah. <laughs> like literally, the oh. Godo gives him here. Here's my best weapon, you know. Like this is the best sword I've ever made, you know. It's the most balanced <laughs> and perfect, and it's just broken immediately. <laughs> so it's like, okay, <laughs> this wasn't gonna work. I like how they introduced the cannon arm because it's you know such a bombastic feature of this. And Rickard just says, "Oh yeah, point at that rock in the distance." And uh, you know, Guts takes aim, and Rickard's telling him how to use the mechanism. And then Goto pops him around the corner right before he's about to fire. It's this nice comical moment. Everyone uh, I, raises their arms. I, I liked when uh, Rickard says, "You know, there's a reason why it's heavy." And you know, <laughs> he's got this look with Erica because Guts comments, "It's heavy," you know, and. They're like, yeah, yeah, and then they make him demonstrate the, the cannon. You know, well, don't pretty... wait. Don't you mean groovy? No, don't do it. Because oh. uh, that's actually, I think that's the the real translation I've got here in the Dark Horse mm. version. Uh, yeah, well, you see, because you know, they were watching uh... Evil Dead too, and <laughs> this is just really cool. That this is. Yeah, this is this is a sore spot for anybody <laughs> that uh, was around for that time with the Dark Horse Dark Horse thread where or they tried you just to explain care about why accuracy, they changed the translation. You know, I mean... Yeah, it's actually, you know, I mean, yeah. I like the, I like yeah, those I movies, really... but I'd like this to not, you know, have that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, it's a bit hard for me to understand because there's actually, like, there's information conveyed in that. God says uh, the arm is heavy and, you know, mm-hmm. there's a reason for it because it's, there's a cannon in it and everything. And, uh, yeah, it's a bit, you know... It's not very. Well, it's also it's just plain anachronistic and like dumb. Yeah, it's, to yeah. Reference beyond this. the fact it's retarded, it's uh, it's not very professional. <laughs> it's, you know, not, it's insane I mean, it's, it's when not... you think about it because you're just completely changing this for someone who's reading it. You know, not having any knowledge of you know the Evil Dead movies or the connection here. You know, and what about them? You know, it's like it's even as a fan of that, I don't appreciate it. It's a very misguided, you know, idea. I mean, I'd seen Evil Dead as well, but. That wouldn't come to mind immediately to me. I would just think, why is Gut saying groovy? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's not even the connection is not even very strong. It's yeah, uh, yeah it's 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 really pretty bad. Uh, and you know, Guts chooses that moment to tell Godo that yeah, I'm 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 heading out. I'm about to leave. So, but before then, of course, Godo gives him what he calls um, not his best work, but you know, it's a great work. And if Guts takes good care of it, it'll probably serve him well in his travels. But it's this sword, uh, long sword, you know, it looks, 
yeah, it has a unique design to it. Uh, the hilt kind of reminds me of Skull Knight. It's just like the the frayed edge or whatever you call it at the end there. But, uh, you know, Guts tests it out on this anvil and slashes through both the sword and the anvil tip in, you know, one slice. And so he has this reaction shot. I, I initially thought he looked kind of skeptical, but I don't know. What do you guys yeah. think? Yeah, he looks pretty focused, more like someone, you know, professional who's, uh, you know, what's a judging a tool and, uh, I guess he's judging it favorably, you know? Cool. Uh, moving on, we have this, uh, the apostle has finally arrived and he's sniffing the ground, um, uh, for the, the sacrifice, uh, the, the scent of the brand and in guts reacts and, uh, turns around, says the guy looks basically some kind of bum in tattered clothing, uh, has no neck, has gross teeth, gross eyes and tongue sticking out. Um, Goto's asking, who are you? As wondering as if he's a customer, you know, and Guts tells him it's his guest. And we see Casca downstairs in the cave. Uh, she's reacting as well, but she's locked away. And the apostle transforms. We, we don't quite see his form very well in this shot as his mid transformation, but we get a sense of it later on. It's kind of like a combination of a boar, or a dog and a couple other animals kind of animalistic features. Of course, like most apostles, this doesn't just have one influence, but I don't, we tend to call him the boar apostle, I think is generally accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have this neat reaction shot with guts as it's transforming. And, you know, generally now is when humans would be cowering in fear or shaking, unable to move. But, uh, guts is able to mask that, uh, that fear with the, the urge to kill. Uh, so as he says, is blacking out any fear. And then he has this awesome two page shot. Um, it's very stylistic. It's of contour in motion of guts, you know, screaming, pupilless, uh, contorted face. Uh, rushes the apostle and, and in one strike is able to take it down. Uh, and actually, I like the, I like how this, the, the, this, the implied speed of that movement. Uh, cause you have some reaction from Godo and, and Rickert in the background there and in the foreground as well on the panel. The guts is probably moving insanely fast for this shot. Yeah. And after he knocks the apostle down, he actually wonders is if this response will work. If this, if, you know, if he can, using these tools, will he actually stand a chance against apostles? That's how I read that as well. And it seems so. He seems, uh, quite confident of that. And, um, Godo's reaction to seeing apostle for the first time is pretty funny. He just looks horrified, pointing at it, eyes wide, mouth open. Sorry, Gus's reaction to, uh, He's, he seems quite confident that the sword can get the job done. He's able to slice off several limbs. He has a confident look on his face, a serious serious grin on his face. But Godot expresses some doubt that the sword is up to the task because, you know, he made it for cutting human things, not inhuman things. And very shortly we see after one, you know, vertical slice that uh, Guts looks down and suddenly sees that, you know, the, the sword is broken off blade at the, at the hilt. And so he looks totally, you know, screwed. And the tables have turned for him. Uh, he was on the advance and now he's being thrown using the apostle is able to use his intestines to grab guts and, you know, throw him through the door of, um, Godo's stash of all the armor that they saw in the previous scene. And Gus has to like muscle himself up thinking, uh, that, you know, he didn't survive the eclipse. He's not surviving now for, for no reason. So he's not going to die in a place like this to someone like this. And, uh, Rickert tells him to use the, the cannon. And he tells him to pull the metal part as a mechanism and, uh, puts it right in the guy's face and just blows the top part of his head off. And 
we see this reaction shot of the panel top top right of that page with the you know the skull and bone and um brains are just kind of flying out and the head is still smoking from the reaction shot goto <laughs> is surprised that he has a cannon in his arm rickard had made some modifications of course and uh guts looks very approvingly at, at the reaction you know <clears throat> smiling at it he actually knocked his shoulder out of socket and uh he has to push it back in we hear a little sound effect from that and there's this the introduction of the dragon slayer for guts he looks it looks kind of offhandedly at, at it at first he notices it and then he gets this look on his face and, and we don't we cut from guts for the following page we don't see him at first we just see the apostle reeling back and guts says hey roy and uh then you know this entire face is slashed in half eyes bulging <laughs> out and uh the dragon slayer is in motion as though it's curved as if the speed and weight of it is causing it to bend of course just for effect you know knocks it back out of the out of the entire place and we see that the one slice that Guts did with the Dragon Slayer was did more damage than you know all of his previous successive hits, and Guts has a very serious look on his face in reaction. Very focused. Yeah, and um, I like this sidelong shot. Uh, the way it spans two pages in the top panel, just showing the length of the weapon, kind of accenting that. Yeah, it's just like it's like it's it's like the length of it and the motion of it, just making it seem like it's going on forever, coming out of there. Yeah, and. Um, when he slices down, it's the uh, it's basically the entire length of the apostle at that point, uh, and uh, it sort of bleats for a little bit, but then collapses in on itself, uh, completely destroyed. Uh, Guts tells Goto that you know he did a bad thing by hiding us from him, and that it's a perfect weapon for Guts. And Goto's just but, uh, taken aback that he can even wield it because I mean, <laughs> there's a shot of Guts uh, where you know he's lifting the dragon slayer and. Uh, you know, the guts and intestine are still on it. And this is this maniacal look on his face. We've seen a couple of little looks like this from guts before. And he has, he even has it on the previous panel in the lower shot there. It's the trademark black swordsman kind of maniacal little too into his work. Look from guts. It's kind of the first inklings we get of, you know, the person he'll become as a black swordsman and also who the beast has made him. Um, but we have this shot of Eric of, of, of Rickert, Responding to Erica, who's scared of this vision of Guts, and this panel of Rickert looks very serious at uh, what he's seeing, as if he's able to see, you know, Guts changing right before his eyes, becoming a darker person. <clears throat> Similar to the panel of Puck uh, in volume 27, when he sees Guts wearing the Bezak armor, you know, seeing the the jewels of the Apostles, same kind of worried look. Right, when he's comparing the Apostles transform, transforming to Guts and his ferocity as a transformed in the, in the armor as well. Ironically, I think he actually looks less scary than he does in the preceding panels. He looks a little more heroic here, really, but I guess it's just sort of the, the image of the Black Swordsman, you know, as a whole that we're seeing. And those words are ringing in his head about, you know, humans aren't supposed to beat dragons. Yeah, that's a good point. So, Guts is saying goodbye. He says, Rickard asks him if you're not going to say goodbye to Casca, and Guts just says no. You know, I think it's important here that Rickard is the voice of reason in this whole scenario, and and also when we come to back, when we come back again, you know, he didn't sustain the same kind of trauma Guts did because he doesn't know the true nature of the eclipse. You know, Rickard's got his head in his shoulders, and Guts is the one that's being selfish in this moment, but he's not willing to listen. He, he can't accept that at this moment. So yeah, uh, I see this as while Guts is acting selfish, he's acting in character, and, and his response is is natural to to want to go out to seek revenge, given. 
the home scenario with Casca is not exactly sustainable, you know. Well, yeah, he mentions that there's, you know, this rage inside him that, you know, he kind of has to, you know, exercise or get out or deal with. And so, you know, it's who's to say what good he would have been staying behind anyway with that frustration thrown on top. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of literally and figuratively has to exercise these demons. Yeah, it provides an outlet and uh, it's a way for him to deal with his own trauma in a way that staying, you know, hidden in a cave wouldn't have uh, been able to to accomplish, especially with the frustration of Casca, you know, being in the stages. As Guts is leaving, he actually puts it, uh, Rickard's saying that the, the Falcons, he knows that they're gone, even though he has no explanation, but Guts tells him that the Falcons aren't gone, and as he's leaving, he actually puts it in terms of the Falcons, like, he's the, uh, you know, our war is not over, and that to care of Casca, she's our leader. He tells them that he's the captain of the, raid and the, the Raiders, and that he's going to raid the enemy camp. So, I mean, you can take that as him just putting it in terms... I mean, it's not like he's treating Rickert like an imbecile. Like, he's putting it in terms he understands. I think he's, like, fictionalizing this. I think he... Yeah, I think he's uh, rationalizing uh, his behavior yeah. to Rickert. You know, to Rickert mm. and to himself. That's good. And he's buying it. Rickert, not so much. You know, it's, it's, it's this is our patriotic <laughs> duty to the Hawks. You know, Rickert's like, right. oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Well, again, not having experienced, you know, that kind of trauma. Yeah, it's you know, I think it's uh, a lot easier for Rickard to be the voice of reason and say that yeah, re- revenge wasn't won't, there. won't bring you know the dead back. But you know, that's not what Gus needs uh, at that point. Yeah, and then we have as the the series, this section of the series ends, we get this inner monologue from Gus talking about. What's driving him on, you know, he's has rage inside him and that's the only thing that's supporting him and pushing him onward. And this two-page shot of him just walking into darkness, you know, this very abstract depiction of what's ahead, you know, this just this dark horizon with these, you know, swirling winds and everything. It's very ominous, as if he's just willingly submitting himself to this darkness. Or, yeah, it's like he's walking into a storm. Well, that is the end of the Golden Age. It felt like it lasted a long time because of the way we're rereading this, but, you know, it, it <laughs> and, is pretty long. And extra long. time after that, too. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's it for the Golden Age. We'll be back for Lost Children uh, in a couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that. It's a fan favorite. We'll see you guys on the other end of that. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rupert, for hanging out. Yeah. Yeah, it was good to be on. And that'll be it. Thanks, guys. All right.